0: Wake Up America, it's Morning Air with John Morales, Si sí, Senor, Sarah Tafoya,
1: Merry Christmas,
0: and Glenn Leverins. That's how
2: I know. This is Morning Air. <laughs> on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That's how I know. Wake Up America, it's Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. Good morning, Merry Christmas, and welcome to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, first U.S. born person to be canonized. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. It's good to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, this morning, we continue to honor the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. For the last uh, two days, thousands, tens of thousands of faithful have visited uh, St. Peter's Basilica, where the Pope Emeritus has lied in state. According to the Holy See, around 65,000 people waited in lines on Monday to see the body of Pope Benedict XVI, with uh, a total of about 135,000 filing past the casket as of last night. Now, on Thursday, Pope Francis will become the first pope in modern history to preside as pope at the funeral of his predecessor. The Requiem Mass is set to take place Thursday morning in St. Peter's Square, beginning at 9.30 a.m. Rome time. Pittsburgh Bishop David Zubik reflected on the upcoming uh, Thursday funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI.
1: This is going to be an unusual situation because he was the first pope in 600 years uh, to, to uh, resign. And so the protocol about what happens relative to a funeral after he passes is going to be something that we're going to have to take a look at uh, you know, once, once that happens. I know there have been a number of articles saying it'll be interesting to see how, how the Vatican will, will process um, you know, his death and, and uh, the celebration you know, of his death for, uh, in terms of our own belief in the resurrection of Jesus.
2: And Relevant Radio will provide live coverage of the Funeral Mass for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Pope Francis will preside over the funeral, and the live broadcast begins at 1.40 a.m. Central Time. Uh, That'll be uh, tomorrow on Thursday morning. And since the live Mass will be really, really early uh, for most of us here uh, in uh, the U.S. and in North America, we'll also present a rebroadcast of the Funeral Mass tomorrow at noon Central. Please join us and unite with Catholics around the world as together we pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict XVI. And again, you can listen live at 1.40 a.m. Central if you're up in the middle of the night, or on the rebroadcast at noon Central tomorrow here on Relevant Radio. We'll have uh, much more on the life in the upcoming funeral of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI when our Rome correspondent Ashley Nerona joins us uh, a little bit later uh, in the show. I want to bring in our morning air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the other uh, big stories making headlines on this first Wednesday of 2023?
3: Well, guys, one of the big things, the uh, Republicans, of course, won a narrow majority in the U.S. House, looking to take over the uh, the House. But They have to elect a speaker before they can get down to business. They tried three times to uh, get Kevin McCarthy elected, who was the presumptive speaker, but uh, no deal yet. He needs 218 votes. Uh, There were room for four Republicans to to not vote for him, but uh, there were five going into the voting and turned out to be 19 on the first two ballots. A third try yesterday, 20 people not voting for him, so they'll try again. Uh, This is not unprecedented, but not common. It's been 100 years. It was uh, 1923 last time... uh, and uh, a speaker wasn't elected on the on the first ballot. And uh, back in the 1850s, it took a couple months before uh, things got ironed out, and the house was able to to get underway. But it does look like the Republicans need to get their their act together.
4: Kind of reminds me of uh, when you're in the in grade school and you have to vote for who is going to be the class president or what have you, and kind of make those posters and promise for more snacks <laughs> in the vending machine. I think maybe that'll push them over the edge.
2: Yeah, this is really not a good look uh, for uh, Republicans. Uh, meanwhile, the other story that captured the attention and the hearts of so many across our country uh, has been uh, uh, the latest on uh, Buffalo Bill's uh, safety, uh, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, Glenn, what do we know?
3: Well, cardiac arrest, uh, the cause of the trouble there. His heart actually stopped two different times. Once... On the field, that's why all those players looked so shocked as they looked on to their teammate, having his heart restarted right there on the field, and he needed CPR again once he got to the hospital. Currently still in critical condition. His family is optimistic and thanks everyone for the prayers and outpouring of support in his charity that had hoped to raise just $2,500 for some Christmas presents for impoverished kids is uh, well into the what about $5 million has been raised so far. They want him to be able to see that when he wakes up and see that there is love and support for him in the country.
2: Absolutely. We are all uh, praying and pulling uh, for uh, Damar Hamlin. Uh, Thanks again, uh, Glenn and Sarah.
3: Hey, sure thing's so. that
2: We begin every morning always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings to the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. And we especially continue to pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the Unborn and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio. Pray for us, and we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from John 6:51. Jesus the Lord says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The baby of Bethlehem that we worship during this Christmas season is Jesus the Lord, the bread of life that we receive in the Holy Eucharist. Let's take advantage of Christ's gift of the Eucharist in this new year more than ever before. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. A reminder that on Wednesdays, we always take a moment to... uh, pray to St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor, so go to Joseph. You can find us on Twitter at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And uh, if you want to send us an email directly, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. A number if you want to be part of the program uh, this morning, 888 Now, according to our first guest, every year around this time, millions of people make their New Year's resolutions. Uh, Yeah, we sure do. (laughs) I know... uh... Every year, we, we we struggle and we try to make those resolutions. Uh, some of the most popular ones are, of course, to lose weight, uh, to be more organized, uh, uh, to quit smoking, uh, to enjoy life at the fullest. And despite some of our best intentions, uh, the statistics paint a rather grim picture regarding the success of such resolutions. Joining us live this morning is pediatric psychologist Dr. Jim Schrader to discuss uh, resolving to make this year mean more and how to avoid failure at your New Year's uh, resolution. Um, Dr. Schrader is a married father of eight and endurance athlete, vice president of the Department of Psychology and Wellness at the Easter Seals Rehabilitation Center in Evansville, Indiana. Dr. Schrader is also the author of Confessions of a Care- careless uh, Carlos uh, commuter and has a new podcast called Living a Whole Christian Life. Good morning, Dr. Schrader. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us once again here at the beginning of the new year.
1: Yeah, happy 2023. It's hard to hard to believe, isn't it?
2: It really really is. Uh, my goodness. Uh, here we are. We start anew. Uh, talk to us about why it's it's so common to start and then to fail in these New Year's resolutions.
1: Well, you know, I think the biggest reason this common is because the, the habits that we're trying to change are also habits that have given us pleasure or joy or taken away anxiety or done something in general that provides for us kind of an immediate response, right, or immediate need. So I think that the reason we fail so often is not necessarily because we want to fail, of course, or not because we don't have certain plans that we lay out, but it's because we don't, aren't really first honest about the fact that the things that we've been doing for a long time serve a purpose. And it's not always necessarily a negative purpose. It actually can be really good. Um, so when we go about with habit change, and we're going to talk about four keys today, it's really important to first say, hey, look, you know what, unless I fill what I'm going to do in the future with goodness and joy, and unless I fill it with ways that can kind of replace what I've got right now, then it's not going to really be successful. It's probably not going to be possible.
2: Now, uh, everybody has struggled with uh, making New Year's resolutions. Uh, Doctor, I'm just curious, uh, do you make resolutions yourself and have you struggled as well?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. I I definitely, at some point in my life, would would make resolutions. um, But you know, I kind of went away from the idea of resolutions to what I call more of New Year's themes or New Year's kind of goals. Um, I think that I like the idea of the fact, and we'll talk about failure as part of this process, but that when I focus on themes for the new year, I'm not saying I'm resolving for a particular outcome necessarily, because we all know that We've talked about this before on the show, that we live with a process-oriented God in an outcomes-focused world. And I think we get so wedded to the outcomes that what we really need to be adopting is a new process sometimes. And so for me, I just kind of tend to look at things more in a theme or kind of a goal-oriented way and less about the resolutions themselves. But um, I've certainly failed a number of them over the years.
2: Well, let's get to it. Uh, Let's talk about some of these keys.
1: Okay. So here's the first key is... Whatever resolution you make, and, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning of the show, it's interesting about um, seeing a therapist or getting therapy. It was one of the bigger ones. But the other one that's so common is losing weight. Right away, what I would say about, let's let's just kind of go with the idea of losing weight because that's a very common one, is... If that is your goal, and again, we'll talk more about why I think it's important about the process, not necessarily the outcome of losing weight, but if that is your goal and you're listening, the first thing you have to really consider is to think to yourself, okay, what are the main obstacles in front of me that would prevent me from accomplishing that goal, right? Very often, we have great plans. We're like, okay, I'm going to go lose weight. I'm going to get it in the gym. I'm going to, like, eat better, but we are not actually really honest about the kinds of things that we know could really derail us, right? And, and most research has shown that a lot of the New Year's resolutions by the end of January have kind of gone by the wayside. So let's think about this idea of losing weight. If you think, okay, well, part of it is I need to eat better. Well, okay, so what are your obstacles to eating better? You know, One of the simple things you have to kind of consider is that what's in your home, literally what's in your house, can either be a really, like, positive at, you know, asset in regards to eating better or it can be really a big obstacle, right? So if you're saying to yourself, I want to eat better, but you're still filling your cabinets and your, your purchasing habits remain the same at the grocery store, then the very likely chance is that when you sit down at night and you want to relax and you just kind of want to, like, you know, veg out after a difficult day, and you know that just right around the corner in your cabinets are the kinds of junk food that aren't going to help you towards your goal, well, right there, that's an obstacle that we, you may not have considered how we need to shift that. Um, let's use the idea of exercise. If You say, okay, you know, I want to get up in the morning. I want to start exercising. Well, getting up in the morning actually starts the night before, right? And so let's say you get up in the morning, but you haven't been, you know, like really prioritizing sleep the way you need to. Um, well, that's already going to probably be an obstacle that could derail you. So one of the real first keys, and I really would say for, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's New Year's or not. Let's say you've already gone through and made a resolution, but you feel like you're not doing well. Step back and actually, literally, you could sit down and write or, or, you know, type this out, whatever. Write out the obstacles that you think that you would face in looking forward might really, again, derail what you want to do. Because so often we have this great intention or idea, but we're not really honest with ourselves about what can get in the way.
2: Dr. Schrader, it reminds me of uh, the Catholic teaching on uh, the near occasion of sin. If you bring in cookies and ice cream and all kinds of stuff that you know you should you don't want to eat the New Year into your refrigerator, into your pantry, well, then it's going to be really difficult to to overcome uh, that temptation. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right. I was on a really great retreat that I go every other year uh, about a month ago, and the the priest who was leading this was talking about that. He said that by the time you actually get to the sin itself, it's probably been building for a long, long time, right? There are a lot of various things kind of leading up to that or things that have occurred that kind of set the stage. And I think like what you're saying there is that near occasion really applies this idea of New Year's resolutions, right? Because you have to think about What are the gradual things like even, again, I mentioned the idea of getting up in the morning and exercising. There are lots of things I have to do prior to that to make that even a realistic, you know, option or activity. And so very often what happens is that we wait till the moment to think, oh, no, now, like, what do I do or I feel like I'm failing. We need to be really planning ahead of time and thinking about, again, the things that can be assets but also the things that can really be obstacles to the resolutions that we set.
2: All right. Uh, what, what is uh, another key uh, if, if from your perspective?
1: Okay. So the second key, and this is this is one of the most common things that we do, is that we just simply start too fast and too intensely with our goals. So let's go back to this idea of losing weight, right? Let's go, you know, very often, and I've heard this before, and I myself have been guilty at times, you think, Let's say I haven't been in the gym at all, you know, or let's say I've only been in the gym sporadically. And then all of a sudden I think, okay, starting in New Year's, I'm going to be in the gym for five days a week, right? The human mind and body just rarely works to go from like, you know, zero to 60 well. What we really are or kind of ordained by God to do much better is to, in general, make more gradual changes over time that not only can be more successful, but also be more sustained, right? So you might, those first couple of weeks, somehow if you've gone, not been in the gym and then all of a sudden you go to five days a week, you might be able to do it, maybe, those first couple of weeks. But ask yourself, can I sustain this? Because the mistake that we make often is to make those changes so quickly and intensely that one, you know, you say, "Oh man, this has, this has been a rough week. My body's hurting. <laughs> like it's totally reorganized everything. Like, and you're, and you know what's happening right there. In those moments, the doubts are already creeping in that you can sustain that pace. So what we say to people is, and this is there's a whole paradigm behind even reducing anxiety and everything about gradual exposure, is that don't just jump from A to a long B." But rather, I would say, let's say you haven't exercised at all in the prior year. I would so much rather, from a change perspective, say, for you to say, okay, well, let's just do one day a week, and let me plan really well around it, That I'm going to do something active, and then let me feel good about that and feel successful about that, and then gradually I can increase that activity over time. But I think one of the things, and let's go back to the idea of that outcome piece, is that the problem with that, why we struggle is that, let's say, if our goal is to lose weight, we kind of want to do it now and quickly, right? We have this mentality as human beings that, give it to me, you know, as soon as you can. And so when we have that mentality, unfortunately, one day a week, starting slowly, doesn't seem to be accomplishing the outcome maybe that we want. Now, long-term, it can, but we are too kind of immediately focused. And so, the reality is, you know, Thomas Merton had this great quote once. He said, happiness is not a matter of intensity, but of balance and, and order and rhythm and harmony. And until we start to find that in the changes and the habits that we make and have, we're going to have a hard time sustaining long term and doing it in a, you know enjoyable way.
2: That is so true. Uh, it makes no sense to, to go crazy and then be so sore that you can't work out for a week. Uh, Dr. Schrader, in the, in the final moments that we have, um, can you talk about how even if we fail, uh, it's not the end of the road?
1: Yeah, there's the thing. We have to see failure as not a finality, uh, but just a step in the process, right? In fact, here's a really simple acronym As you know, we're, we're short on time. Think of fail as F being forever, a being attempt, I being in, and L being learning. Failing is forever attempt and learning. We do nothing good if we don't fail. And we have to see that, again, not as a finality, but just a step. So if you've already failed your New Year's resolutions, great. That means you're right where you should be. And so you know, most good change requires, I mean, sometimes five, six, seven attempts to continue to kind of work through that. Um, so, yeah, failure is so important. It's our perspective towards failure, not the issue of failure itself that we need to shift.
2: We'll have to leave it right there. Dr. Schrader, uh, as always, thank you so much. Uh, Great suggestions. I really appreciate uh, your uh, keys uh, to the game here uh, in uh, 2023. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Have a great day.
2: Pediatric psychologist Dr. Jim Schrader, the author of Confessions of a Carless Commuter, and his podcast is called Living a Whole Christian Life. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go live to the Vatican to check in with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona, for more on the life and the upcoming funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Stay with us as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
4: They must become men of truth, of justice, of goodness, of forgiveness, of mercy. They will no longer ask, how can they serve me? Instead, they will have to ask, how can I serve God's presence in the world? It was amazing
1: to just wait for seven hours and then all of a sudden him just be in front of me and waving and getting pictures and it was an experience that I just can't explain.
2: And those were some memorable moments from Pope Benedict's first trip to Germany as Pope at World Youth Day in Cologne back in 2005. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now it's time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Norona. Ashley and her husband John founded The Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. You can read more about them at johnandashley.org. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. Thanks so much for joining us once again from Rome as we continue to honor the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI.
0: Well, John, I'm so honored to be able to have this chance to honor that, that beautiful legacy, so thank you for having me today.
2: Well, Ashley, uh, Pope Francis uh, began his uh, Wednesday audience uh, this morning paying tribute to his predecessor, mm-hmm. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Holy Father's uh, message?
0: Yes, indeed. Pope Francis said that he wanted to join all of those who are paying their respects to Pope Benedict XVI. And he also turned his thoughts to the Pope, his personal thoughts, he said. And he called Pope Benedict a master of catechesis. And he said, quote, his acute and gentle thought was not self-referential, but ecclesial, because he always wanted to accompany us in the encounter with Jesus. And Pope Francis went on to say today that he hoped that Pope Benedict would take all of us by the hand and help us to rediscover in Christ the joy of believing and the hope of living by discovering Christ, the crucified and risen Christ, who's the living one and the Lord. And after that that time of honoring Pope Benedict XVI, Pope Francis moved on to his catechesis, which is the last one in his series on discernment. And today he focused on the importance of spiritual accompaniment in the process of discernment. He said that spiritual accompaniment is essential to gain what he called the sound understanding of the Lord's will for your life. And he said that When you seek accompaniment from others, it helps you to know yourself better, and it helps in building humility, also in showing fragility. And he said that spiritual accompaniment should always be done while being docile to the Holy Spirit, since sharing the movements of the heart is a way to actually have your weaknesses pointed out, to help open your eyes more clearly to the direction which your life is going. So he He also said that that's very similar to the way that many figures in scripture had encounters with Christ after opening their hearts to him, and then they experienced Christ's mercy and forgiveness. And so Pope Francis went on to say that spiritual accompaniment also shows the importance of community in the spiritual journey, since together we are members of Christ's body. We are his sons and daughters and sharers in the life of the spirit. So with all that, Who can one look to as a model for accompaniment? Well, Pope Francis said the answer to that is the Blessed Virgin Mary, that Our Lady accompanies all who ask, and she will, in fact, lead them to Jesus.
2: It's a beautiful uh, teaching, and I found it very interesting that you mentioned uh, that uh, uh, Pope Francis referred to uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict as that master of catechesis. Mm-hmm. After all, that is part of the role of uh, the successor of Peter, uh, that universal pastor, uh, to teach uh, and mm-hmm. uh, to defend uh, the, the faith.
0: Yes, in fact, in, in Pope well, Benedict XVI certainly had such a gift of that because although he was such a such an incredible theologian with probably the greatest theological mind of the 21st century, he still had the gift and ability to share the faith in a simple way that all of us could understand. And especially in his introduction to Christianity, I think we experienced that he had a true gift for being able to share the truths of the faith in, in ways that were accessible to all of us
2: us. Absolutely. And uh you know it's it's impressive to uh, to see uh, uh the video and the photographs of uh, the mm-hmm. tens of thousands of pilgrims uh paying their respects to uh Pope Benedict lying in state there in St. Peter's uh, Basilica uh, according to the Vatican over 135,000 mm-hmm. uh, had uh, had come to to say goodbye uh to our late holy father uh, as of last night.
0: Yes, exactly. So people are traveling in from all over the world. And it's interesting because hotels and flights, etc., are selling out. We have actually four guests who are arriving today, and they're coming from uh, Geneva and Africa and uh, Poland. And uh, so it's going to be very interesting because it's really the universal church coming together as an opportunity for us as a Catholic family to be together, to grieve together, and to love together.
2: Well, um, I remember for the funeral of... uh, Uh, St. Pope John Paul II, uh, that, you know, millions of people converged on Rome uh, for uh, his funeral mass. Uh, This is going to be much more subdued, much more low-key, but it's still going to have tremendous Mm -hmm. uh, dignity and reverence uh, for a uh, former pontiff. What more do we know Mm -hmm. about the funeral arrangements uh, for tomorrow's uh, funeral?
0: Right. Well, yes, we're, we're, of course, not going to see the traditional things that are reserved for when a pope dies, because this is not being treated as the burial of a of a pope. And so um, that said, you know, of course, the nine days of mourning that would be typical are not here. The, the bells were not rung of St. Peter's Basilica after the death of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. There's only two official diplomatic delegations who will be coming, and that is Italy as well as Germany. So uh, this, you know, heads of state will m- most probably not be coming in uh, except with, from those particular countries. So uh, in the meantime, Pope Francis will preside at the mass. We don't know exactly what that means because you may recall that uh, with Pope Francis with ailing health, he has not been able to actually celebrate a mass publicly for many, many months now. And so uh, we aren't sure if he will be um, presiding as, as another priest cel- celebrates or, or what it will look like. So they, it remains to be seen on that.
2: Um, I understand that uh, church bells are going to be ringing all over Germany uh, tomorrow at the yes. time of the funeral. That, that's really mm-hmm. uh, uh, just a, a beautiful tribute. Uh, he was so dear to the German people mm-hmm. uh, as that uh, Bavarian Holy Father.
0: Yes. And in fact, I'm hearing, John, too, that there are special masses that are going on throughout the world as people as as parishes are calling their own parishioners to their local churches for mass tomorrow, especially uh, to be offered for Pope Benedict XVI, that bells will be rung not only in Germany, but in other countries as well in tribute to our our beloved Holy Father.
2: Um, Have you seen a a lot of uh, folks uh, around Rome? Does it seem like there's a lot more going on here in anticipation of the funeral?
0: Yes, in fact, my husband John and I live just five minutes away from St. Peter's Basilica, and there is a real buzz. You see that restaurants are full there's there's just people everywhere uh, and especially as people are kind of scrambling around and trying to figure out exactly what their plans are, how they're going to manage everything. I, I know two people who are planning to sleep in the piazza or outside of the piazza uh, tonight so that they can be there for the Mass early in the morning.
2: Um, What can we expect in this uh, beautiful Requiem Mass?
0: Hmm. Well, uh, we are of course going to hear words from Pope Francis honoring Pope Benedict XVI and some of the things that we've already heard from him are um, him talking about the kindness of Pope Benedict XVI, talking about the gentleness of of Pope Benedict. So we can expect to hear uh, things like that. We're also going to see various clerics, cardinals, etc., from around Rome and around the world who have especially come in to be part of this Mass. So we're already (laughs) seeing them here on the streets, um, you know, as as people are are arriving. And so there's a lot of familiar faces. in addition to that, we know that he will be uh, eventually interred in the Papal Grottoes, which is underneath St. Peter's Basilica. Um, it will the, the funeral itself will have the three coffin burial. We know, and so this this will these are the things that we can expect tomorrow. And I, I'm ex- I'm looking forward to, of course being there and being able to share that with you uh, after, after the funeral tomorrow as well.
2: Well, we're so looking forward to that, Ashley. And um, I, I know that uh, Pope Benedict Sixteenth will be uh, buried uh, just a, a kitty-corner from uh, the First Holy Father from St. Peter himself.
0: Yeah, he will, and in fact, he will be in the the same place where Pope John Paul II originally was before Pope Saint John Paul II was moved to the main floor of St. Peter's Basilica to the altar of Saint Sebastian, mm-hmm. and the the account, the written account of of Pope Benedict's papacy is going to be placed in his coffin before he he uh, is buried, and and so the it's going to be a very moving. Moving experience,
2: Ashley. Uh, you had uh, the distinct uh, um, opportunity to uh, work mm-hmm. at the Vatican under uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth.
0: Yes, yes, that was such a gift, John. In every way, uh, I started under Pope Benedict the Sixteenth and finished under Pope Francis, and it was incredible working under Pope Benedict the Sixteenth because I was. Uh, the official for English language at the Pontifical Council for Social Communication. So what we focused on was using every means possible to evangelize and spread the good news to the ends of the earth. And Pope Pope Benedict XVI was such a master at communication. We saw it in all kinds of different ways, uh, from not only the way that he wrote, also the way that he spoke, but even the way that he listened. You know, Pope Benedict was the first to really begin dialoguing, for example, with victims of abuse. He, he spoke a lot about nurturing silence in your hearts. In fact, here in Rome, I teach priests communication skills. And one of the things that we talk about is is listening. And, and I, I, I use quotes from pope benedict the 16th to illustrate the importance of nurturing that silence in in your heart and it's interesting because even in his last years he communicated in a very powerful way but it was also through silence in, in his prayer and so it was uh, it was just such an honor of course to work for him and and he right before i began the uh, he had made his foray into social media of course pope benedict the 16th was the first pope behind at pontifex the twitter account at the vatican and it's funny because people used to ask and they'd say does, does the pope really press those twitter buttons is he the one that's pressing tweet you know send and uh, so our official response was the seat does not tweet <laughs> and, and, and then the explanation that, of course, this, the, this comes from the, a different office, but of course he, he is aware of these things, et cetera. And uh, I, at one point, something had happened at the Secretary of State, and they called on us for some help over at our office, and I got to translate even his tweets, and even that was just a special honor. Uh, so it was, it was a joy to, to be part of that.
2: Ashley, you were uh, so uh, plugged in. that It's it's amazing. What was the experience of, of his last papal audience and also the day uh, that the helicopter flew him to Castel Gandolfo yes. to begin his retirement in dramatic fashion?
0: Gosh, that was amazing. Being there in, in St. Peter's Square, actually, as a journalist, I was able to stand on top of the colonnades of St. Peter's Square and have this close uh, close view of the holy father which was so special and it just felt like saying goodbye to a beloved grandfather and when the when the audience came to an end, there was just this sense of sadness, knowing that we wouldn't be seeing him every week and and not knowing at all what the future would hold as far as what retirement meant, what it meant to be a Pope Emeritus. The day that the helicopter flew him out to Casa Gandolfo from from Vatican City was so exciting. So it felt like everybody in the whole world was out in the streets so that we could watch, we could wave. I remember that as he flew over the the town of Marino on his way to Casa Gandolfo, the students of the University of Dallas went out on their in their um, land around their campus, and they they spelled out a word for him, you know, uh, of affection. So. It was that moment, though, when, of course, he walked into the papal residence at Castle Gandolfo, when those huge wooden doors on the front of the palace closed, that we knew that the papacy had officially come to an end. And when those doors closed, I I feel like the reverberations just went through all of our hearts as we knew it was time to say goodbye to Pope Benedict XVI.
2: Well, Ashley, uh, uh, tomorrow our our listeners are going to be able uh, to uh, continue to uh, unite ourselves with all the other Catholics around the world uh, as we continue to pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict XVI, and again, we can uh, listen live at 1.40 a.m. Central or on the rebroadcast at noon Central tomorrow here on Relevant Radio. So looking forward to talking with you and getting your uh, perspective on the funeral tomorrow. It's going to be another historic event there at st peter's
0: indeed and you know i think something for us to remember right now is that in his last testament which is which was revealed to us and he of course had written that in 2006 he asks he begs us to pray for him so let's do that let's fulfill his last request
2: amen thanks so much uh, ashley grazie grazie thanks again for being with us (laughs) we'll see you tomorrow
0: great to be here god okay i look forward to it god bless
2: Ashley Narona, a Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the relevant radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary, will join us with yet more perspective on Pope Benedict XVI's legacy and his teaching in theology as a university professor. Stay with us. There is much more to come as Morning Air continues here on this Wednesday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
4: Breathe and wine become his body and blood but it must not stop there, on the contrary. The process of transformation must now gather momentum. The body and blood of Christ are given to us so that we ourselves will be transformed in our turn. We are to become the body of Christ, his own flesh and blood we all eat the one bread, and this means that we ourselves become one
2: and that was the late pope benedict the sixteenth in cologne germany at world youth day two thousand and five in front of over one point two million young people from all around the world and i had the joy of being there and reporting along with drew mariani for relevant radio welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As we continue to honor uh, Pope Benedict XVI, let's remember that before being a pope and even before he was appointed the Archbishop of Munich, Uh, He had a very distinguished career as a theologian. Joseph Ratzinger was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. With his clarity of teaching, he would become what was uh, known as the Professor Pope. Joining us live uh, from the Focus Seek Conference in St. Louis is Monsignor James Shea, the President of the University of Mary, a regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio uh, to further uh, discuss Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's legacy and his teaching in theology as a university professor. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. And our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888 Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for taking the time uh, to join us this morning. It's great to be with you once again here at the start of the new year.
5: Good morning to you, John. Here I am in St. Louis with 17,000 000- young people who are on fire for their faith. And so it's a beautiful, very encouraging beginning
2: to 2023. Well, Monsignor, I thought of you. I knew you were with all those young people there at that uh, outstanding Sikh conference. I've had the opportunity to be at other Sikh conferences. It's so uplifting. Uh, something that uh, the the late Holy Father Pope uh, Benedict uh, the Sixteenth uh, loved so much the, the young people. And uh, I, I hope you appreciated the, that audio, that little excerpt uh, from the Holy Father in Cologne, Germany, back in 2005. Some incredible memories.
5: Well, gosh, I loved it because it did bring back memories for me. You know, I was a seminarian in Rome from 1998 until 2002, and those were kind of the final years, or at least the 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 sort of twilight of the sunset of Pope Saint John Paul II. And all through those years, since the early 80s, Joseph Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Benedict XVI, had been the prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome. So he was really a right-hand man for John Paul II. And we as seminarians would see him quite a bit. He would walk in the morning through St. Peter's Square. He often said Masses at the Teutonicum, which is a college for German-speaking graduate priests in the Vatican, and we would join him for that Mass. And I just really admired him a lot and was able to see him quite a bit during my time in Rome. And, and, and then later, when I was a high school chaplain, I would take groups, over to Rome, groups of my students, after he was elected, Benedict the Sixteenth, and it was magnificent—you talked about his love for young people—it was magnificent to see the way that he carried himself at those papal audiences or at those high papal masses, for instance, for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul at the end of June. He was just really, really an amazing person with a deep heart, with a tremendous love for God, and with a clear, clear mind. You spoke about him as the Professor Pope, and John, I think that's an apt description for him, because his mind was clear as a bell, and his uh, holiness was there for everyone to see. My student side, that's for sure.
2: Well, there's so much that we can talk about um, the late uh, Holy Father, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Uh, When you reflect back uh, in these last few days, thinking about his life, um, what did he mean for you personally, Monsignor?
5: Yeah, so I think that that he built upon the legacy of Pope St. John Paul II in terms of making sure that in his teaching, And in the way that he governed the Universal Church, both in assisting in that governance under John Paul II, and then under his papacy, he brought about kind of an energetic, muscular, uh, and uh, strong, beautiful uh, um, account of the Catholic faith, such that he was insistent upon its intelligibility. First of all, he wanted to make sure that in all of his teaching, he was making Catholic teaching and the truth about God and ourselves and the world that we live in, which is the truth that saves. He wanted to make that as clear as possible. He also had this profound concern that all of that truth should be put into vital dialogue and interaction and encounter with all of the challenges, errors, and problems of the modern world which plague humanity and which weigh our souls down because he knew that the truth would set us free which is what Jesus had taught and so his legacy for me especially in my work at a university is a reminder he said once that universities should dedicate themselves and should to the diakonia of truth the, the, he said this in 2008 when he came to the Catholic University of America He said that we should dedicate ourselves to the diaconia of truth. Diakonia is the word for deacon, but it means service, the service of truth. And so he's an inspiration to me uh, to, to remain rooted in the truth, but not the truth as a nebulous concept or as some secret knowledge, but the truth is something which is meant for every single human heart. And so he was profoundly intelligent, but he was never afraid to make the truth accessible, and intelligible in his teaching. That's a model for all of us, John.
2: Uh, Monsignor Shea, uh, why do you think that uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger uh, was misunderstood by many, especially in the media? Uh, they just didn't understand where he was coming from, especially when he when he was the uh, prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, when he was in charge of being the guardian of our faith uh, for all those years, and then later as Pope Benedict XVI. You know, they they just insisted on on calling him God's Rottweiler, but he was really such a, a Gentle, a teacher with such great uh, clarity, they just didn't understand him.
5: Yeah, I, I think that that Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth would have been one of the most misportrayed people of our age. What I mean by that is what you're gesturing at, John. He, in temperament, was shy. He was gentle. He was clear, but he was he was really. Um, he was really uh, sort of the consummate gentleman and wasn't sort of a forceful personality or dominant or those kinds of things, um, or aggressive. He wasn't an aggressive person. Um, he, he, but he was largely and widely misunderstood because people didn't like what he had to say. And so it wasn't about how he said it. It was about what he said. And so, oftentimes, the press would would deliberately misrepresent the things that he had said because they didn't like um, the the outcome or the um, the conclusions to which he had come. He pointed to this, you know, after Pope Saint John Paul II's death and before the papal conclave where he was elected. He famously spoke, John, about the dictatorship of relativism. Relativism, as we all know, is this idea that there is no truth; that you have your truth, I have my truth, but there's really no truth that we share. And so, I think that that he was able to speak about that from an, from an intellectual and conceptual uh, viewpoint, but also uh, from a personal viewpoint, because uh, that relativism touched upon the way that he was portrayed, the Rottweiler, uh, um, God's Rottweiler. This this was an unfair characterization in every way of him he was a person who had given his life over to the pursuit of truth and he was willing to teach and follow that truth no matter where it led him but he never did it to mow people down or to hit him over the head with it he always did it with the greatest kindness patience and clarity it's a model for all of us that we should root our lives in truth that we shouldn't be afraid of the consequences of our lives being um being uh wed to and connected to that truth jesus warned us that there would be persecutions and consequences to following his way but that we shouldn't deliberately set out uh to disabuse people of um of their affections for the catholic church or that we should uh attempt uh to to um uh to push people away he never did that
2: Monsignor, uh, do you think that he uh, could be a doctor of the Church one day?
5: <laughs> well, John, well, that question is beyond my competence. Here's what I can tell you: He loved the saints, especially the doctors of the Church. He was a um, he was a person who who made the faith more clear uh, and who taught it with great love. But he was also simple in his teaching, and I think that that great erudition great intellectual capacity wed to a particular uh, talent for an ability to communicate the faith in simple terms, those are the components necessary for a person to be a doctor of the the church, in in addition to being a saint, of course, uh, which is uh, a manifest expression of holiness. And so I think all of the ingredients are there, but somebody else is going to make that decision.
2: well, apparently the, the folks in Rome, like they were chanting Santo Subito uh, for uh, Pope John Paul II, <laughs> they're, they're, they're asking uh, for uh, a doctor of the Church uh, from uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict. Uh, Monsignor J- James Shea, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Really appreciate it.
5: Oh, it's an honor for me to be able to pay tribute just a little bit to this tremendous man who we're saying farewell to with heavy hearts but with great joy.
2: Thanks so much, Monsignor. And now it's time for another episode of Glen Story Corner.
3: Continuing our series of Christmas stories, our story today called What Have You Heard and Seen This Christmas? From the Salvation Army. Oh, you say, had I been there at Bethlehem that night, I would have seen, I would have understood, I would have known it was the Christ child. Would you? There is one way of knowing. Ask yourself what you have seen and heard this Christmas season. Here's how we see it from the Salvation Army. Some watch the six o'clock news and see chaos and strife. We see sheep without a shepherd. When they go out to do their shopping, some only see hordes of people in stores. They might've noticed the worried expressions on some of their faces, worried because they're facing this Christmas without employment or enough money. or They don't know how they're gonna make ends meet. What do we hear as Christians? Do we hear only the blasts of music and carols? In the Salvation Army, we hear the silent sighs of the lonely and bereaved maybe dreading Christmas because it accentuates their loneliness. And in the midst of the sounds of honking horns and people arguing over parking places, listen for the sounds of laughter coming from SA Christmas parties for all types of people, because so many unknown people furnished food and toys for families, children and the desperate. You see, so often what you see and what you hear is not dependent upon the event, but upon yourself. If you, in fact, did hear the cry from the lonely, the laughter of poor children, if you saw the sheep without a shepherd then, and only then might you have noticed the events that took place in Bethlehem that night. If you're missing these spiritual sights and sounds, you probably would have been there with the 99% who were present but saw or heard nothing out of the ordinary that night near the stable. In the end, perhaps, one of our carols, words at best, No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, or meek souls shall receive him still, the dear Christ enters in.
2: Thanks so much, Glenn. Coming up in the next hour here on Morning Air, Catholic author Dr. Kevin Vost, doctor in clinical psychology, will join us to discuss the small changes that we can do in this new year of 2023 to live a healthier life. Plus, our personal success coach, Dave Duran, will be with us to talk about the simplicity of getting unstuck. Stay with us. There is much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.